This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 318 of The Yellow Report. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-0 win away to Werder Bremen, the upcoming game against SC Freiburg, and I will interview Jamie McAllister, who is a blind football fan and had the pleasure to visit the Westfalenstadion against Union Berlin, and he will tell us all about that trip. And for all that and more, joins me, Mr. Lars Polman. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? I am very fine, Stefan. How are you? I am very fine myself. And uh, especially fine after that 2 nothing win against Bremen. Um, because after Dortmund select Eintracht Frankfurt and then had a, I would say, very positive Champions League night against Paris, then usually you would expect them to trip over their own dicks against the second-last team on the road. But here we are with a 2 nothing win, clean sheet, hardly any chances allowed. So I think that's very positive. So my mood is very good. Lars, how happy are you with that win, which uh, I think Emre Can described as a, a grown-up win? I mean, I'm basically still picturing Dortmund players tripping over their own dicks. But, I mean, five days after a 2-0 win over relegation battling Werder Bremen, my mood isn't necessarily uh, informed by that performance of Dortmund, which I would agree with Emre was uh, mature and, and pretty decent overall. Uh, certainly felt in the first half uh, that it was going to be that prototypical disappointing Dortmund road performance against a bad team, which usually means they are not going to necessarily get beaten, but, you know, perhaps draw again. But I think uh, it's almost a testament to the newfound stability of this particular setup, these 11 players who've now started all three games against Frankfurt, Paris and Bremen, that, you know, there was enough uh, metal in that team and, and enough... Uh, stability in order that uh, to come back in the second half, increase the uh, tempo going forward, increase perhaps even the work rate a little bit, and you know the can opener, as we would say in Germany, uh, coming from uh, a set piece and Danaxe Zagadu. I mean, bad commentators would say he just wanted it more than Davies. <laughs> what mean, would good commentators say? Yeah, I mean. I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> I, I was I was going to say that th I, even though that's uh, you know a, a, a bad cliche and trope was kind of true to me. I mean, it, even Florian Kofeld, the the Bremen coach, said after the game that you know it wasn't necessarily a mistake by Zelke, but there was something missing there. And I think that uh, I mean I would probably say that it's the kind of goal you concede when you're battling relegation and the kind of goal you score when you are uh, in a good run of form, which is true for Dortmund on the whole and especially for Zagadou in 2020. So I don't know if uh, 
what commentator me would have said in that instant, but you know the the point stands that it was the kind of goal that Dortmund probably needed to score to get over the hump in that game, but after that it was pretty smooth sailing. Yeah, well, probably Zagadier over five seconds, completely smashing the microphone. That's what I expect from from you in in that. Well, spot. my own my only contribution to Dortmund's success is coming up with decent nicknames. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. That's like uh, no, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> so um, where I'm gonna go though is that uh, Florian Kofeld once again applied his five-two-three uh, system, which nicely cancelled out Dortmund's three-four-three. I thought um, he already succeeded with that, even more so in the cup. And uh, you know, to little surprise, Dortmund didn't adjust too much to it. I thought they were pretty content in in the first half with how the game went. Um, Osako and Zelke did quite well to press both Zagadou and Hummels and then obviously forced Dortmund to build up more over Lukas Piszczek, which is what I would do if I were the opposing coach as well. So not a big surprise there other than uh, that Bremen did it better than PSG. But then again, maybe also not a surprise when uh, you have Neymar who needs to press there and is four kilos overweight. So, um, but I, I think... Um, Dortmund's first half was much better. They did not um, seed too many chances. I think Bremen only had two shots which were blocked. Dortmund had two shots where, which were off target by uh, Hazard and Chan. Um, but what I liked, I think Bremen in the first five minutes or so, they were very wild. They, they pressed very high and uh, had the control of the game, but that didn't translate for them into chances which for for my point of view from a Dortmund perspective is an improvement um I I think we usually could all just view this as the standard procedure from a side like Dortmund but uh this season so far has taught us that this is certainly not always the case so um I'm taking the positives where I can find them and uh, Dortmund's first half and just basically staying patient uh, was good uh, but the, the one thing where they weren't maybe a bit patient enough and I think John even criticized it a little bit or what might have been Witzel after the game that uh, they tried to force the game too vertically too too often and hence lost possession and in the second half I thought they were much better by controlling the ball but as you also said they upped the ante and uh, with that put Bremen a bit more on the back foot and then uh, opening the, the scoring like that is obviously great. Also great for Zagadou because I think he created that corner with a with a low cross to uh, Arling Haaland who then uh, forced that corner. So uh, very nice for Zagadou to score. And uh, right now he is, as you said, in, in magnificent form. So um, I'm very happy for him. And then I, I think... I don't know, Lars. I'll, I'll I'll ask you because I felt like the game was pretty much over already after the one nil, or was it even? Well, it was more over after the two nil. But um, to me, Bremen deflated like a balloon on a on a bed of nails, basically. But was that more after the first or after the second goal? Because I I don't remember it that clearly anymore. Well, I mean that balloon never had too much helium inside anyway. Uh, going by Bremen's performance, which for a team that had, I think, lost their last five home games and was kind of staring down this abyss of, uh, you know, a relegation battle that, I mean, they did decently in the first half, but still, I mean, to not have a single real scoring opportunity at home against Dortmund, 
<clears throat> who, I mean, away from home, have shipped so many goals this season. Uh, even in this new, more stable Dortmund setup, that's still a bit disappointing from Brim's uh, perspective, I would say. So uh, I, I don't actually remember how much time uh, there was between the two goals of Dortmund. So, I mean, uh, that makes it hard for me to really pinpoint. About 14 minutes. Oh, that that's more than I would have said from like recollection. Um, well, that that would that would mean that they deflated right away after the first goal because that's that's what my takeaway is. And if if you have the similar feeling, then I, I I think that's that's what it was. That basically Dortmund just needed to take the lead to, yeah, completely shake Bremen's confidence because, you know, it's not easy if you're Bremen in this situation to come out of the gate like that and and press Dortmund and. Uh, and really play with a lot of courage and uh, the contrast between uh, Bremen side playing with courage and, and none at all, uh, I think we saw once Dortmund scored quite vividly. So, um, yeah, it was basically only a matter of how high Dortmund would win this game in, in the end, I, I presume. But uh, yeah, credit to Dortmund for um, not letting Bremen back into the game with silly mistakes and, and staying, you know, as, as you said, mature. So, um, yeah. Obviously, that was great. And then, uh, yeah, the Haaland goal was a very nice play. I mean, I, th I think everybody's uh, seen that basically it was a calm copy of one of the goals against Frankfurt. And it's basically almost something like a signature move almost uh, right now for Dortmund with Hakimi and Sancho combining in this new 3-4-3 uh, system. They, uh, especially Hakimi, has more freedoms uh, roaming forward so he and Sancho have kind of built an even better relationship over the last few games and I mean as I said kind of a signature move for Sancho to release Hakimi he uh, rushes toward the goal line and then uh, always looking for that cutback pass which I think is has been a staple in Dortmund's attacking play for several years now and still probably the most effective uh, method of assisting goals in the modern game I would say I mean Especially when you don't have, you, you know, a, a striker that's really a towering presence in the air, which we've established in previous episodes that Haaland isn't despite his uh, uh, big size. Uh, I think Hakimi's cutbacks, are, are we've seen them lead to a number of goals already. And obviously Haaland's movement against poor old Ulmer Toprak, uh, <laughs> a favorite of both of both of ours, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um I mean, he made Toprak look really silly, but I think he would have made the same, or he would have made uh, practically every centre-back in the world almost look silly just because that's, uh, I, I would say, almost indefensible. I mean, I don't know how uh, any centre-back would have the flexibility in his hips and the presence of mind to stay with Haaland in that, in that sequence. I think that's the kind of movement you see from a special, special striker. And that's certainly what uh, Haaland has already proved to be at Dortmund. I mean, during the game, I'm not even sure I got carried away when I said that I'm not sure I've seen a striker this good at Dortmund. I mean, obviously, we've been blessed as uh, onlookers over the last few years with both Lewandowski and Aubameyang, obviously very different styles of playing but i mean the, also the, been blessed by lucas barrios to be honest the, yeah him too i mean the they, they've all scored and and alex fry before that and and, and abby smaller like before that i mean uh dortmund have 
for a number of years now and and that stretches back like 15 seasons or or so uh, that they haven't they've already always had that one striker who's pretty much good for a goal at least every two games which is kind of the 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 benchmark for Bundesliga strikers I would say so 15 to 17 goals a season that that that's the mark of a good striker and Dortmund have had these guys but I mean Lewandowski is a much better player now at Bayern than he was at Dortmund despite being very good at Dortmund and Aubameyang is not nearly as complete a striker as uh, Lewandowski was and also as Haaland is so I I think there's a uh, there's an argument to be made that Haaland Obviously, it's very, very early and he's only played, I think, eight games for Dortmund and started in like four or five of them. But I think you can make the case that he's on his way anyway to establish himself as perhaps the best striker Dortmund have had, at least in my uh, lifetime. Yeah, I mean, he had 48 touches, according to who scored. And if you look at the heat map, uh, a lot of these touches come like uh, above the center circle. So a bit in the a, in a, in a right center of 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 Dortmund's field still in uh, in Bremen's half, but uh, still, that's that's quite impressive to see that uh, his heat map isn't f more ahead. That tells you, and obviously the 48 touches also tell you uh, how involved he is. And uh, I mean, he is just smashing benchmarks and records left, right, and center. Uh, he has scored 40 goals and eight assists in 30 games for Dortmund and Salzburg this season, including six hat tricks. He has scored 12 goals in eight games for Dortmund, which weren't full appearances. He has scored 10 goals in seven Champions League appearances and uh, all that in 1,993 minutes. So that's roughly one goal every 50 minutes. And since turning pro, he has averaged to 1.16 goals per game. And uh, that's, to me, you know, just just outrageous. And for Salzburg, his, his goals per game average was 1.56 And currently for Dortmunds, it's around 2.05 goals per game. So these stats are via fbref.com. Um, and I don't know how complete their data set is, especially when it comes to his uh, previous clubs. But um, from, from the data you have, that's just mightily impressive. And uh, I have not even factored in the uh, scoring and assisting stats together. So um, right now at Dortmund, he is above two which obviously will regress to the mean but if the mean is 1.56 then that's just crazy and uh yeah then we obviously can talk about him becoming one of the best strikers in the world so that's that's just that's just outrageous to me um i don't i don't really have any other words for that last I, i mean you have already waxed about him and uh yeah so i i think The, the main message here is for every Dortmund fan, enjoy it while it lasts. Um, I think we'll get right about one and a half seasons out of him when there is, uh, when the release clause is triggerable. I don't know if that's a word, but everyone knows what I mean. I think he will be gone off to, uh, one of the biggest clubs and then, uh, will have a stellar career. I don't see any other way. But uh, for now, that's that's just uh, amazing. And yeah, th the movement was great. Um, he could have even had more chances. I think in the, uh, I don't know, 85th minute or so, Dortmund had another counterattack where he could have squared it off or or shoot it himself. And then, uh, yeah, Pavlenka saved it. But um, yeah, looking forward to, to the next games, I, I think he will uh, make the difference 
a lot of times for Dortmund. Um, but obviously, the bigger difference for Dortmund is being made by their defense. And I think we can say that the last three games have been quite solid. Um, last, obviously, we have talked about the introduction of Emre Can and Arling Haaland. But uh, we also have to state that uh, these three defensive performance correlate at least with the absence of Manuel Akanji, Marco Reus and Julian Brandt. So I wanted to ask you what you make of this. I mean, uh, uh, Roman Bürki gave an interview to German TV station Sky, uh, I think yesterday, but they've kind of published it over the course of today, for the most part anyway. And, and he was obviously asked about uh, Emre Can as well. And he said, uh, while he's added this and that, and, and also was obviously very uh, positive about the, the impact uh, Can has had at Dortmund, he also said that it, he's not a fan of putting it all on one player and, and making it out to be, you know, the impact of one player making all the difference. And I mean, even if you uh, group up three guys as you did with Akanji, Brandt and Reus, uh, I think that's still, as you said, more correlation than causation. Um, Berkey credits mostly uh, a better awareness of the entire team and, Uh, praising attacking players such as Jaden Sancho and Torgan Azar for, uh, I guess, uh, m contributing more to defending as a team and having more of a defensive mindset as well as, uh, you know, going forward and trying to score all these goals, which they are still doing, more or less anyway. Um, so the, I think the, the test is going to be when Favre makes changes to this setup. Uh, if, for example, Brandt were to play instead of Chan or next to Chan instead of Witzel, uh, how things would look then. Obviously, the, the onus would be on the guys coming in, which uh, is something I wrote about today, uh, to show that this stability isn't personnel related, but, you know, more of a team effort in, in the truest sense of the word. So That's certainly something to, you know, look forward to because I'm, I'm pretty sure we are going to see some changes for the Freiburg game and, and certainly, uh, the week after. I mean, that's really looking quite daunting with Gladbach, uh, Paris and Schalke in a span of seven days. I mean, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's as tough as it gets, uh, for Dortmund, uh, this season. I don't quite remember whom they played, uh, Before the Bayern game, I think there was a Champions League game against Inter, perhaps. Uh, but you know, as it as it turns into the the meaty part of the season, I think there's certainly uh, something to be said for the the current setup. But I mean, we all know that at Dortmund, the next injury is never far away, so it would be quite problematic if it all was down to you know a couple of players in terms of individual personnel decisions yeah i mean you're right in the end uh, it comes down to the entire collective and the next man up mentality um so lucien favre didn't really want to talk about players that uh, didn't train um during a press conference so um we had to read tea leaves a little bit but i think i've read on on twitter that uh There were a couple of players that didn't fully train this week, including Haaland, Hazard, Brandt, Bürki and Hitz. So that led to some already fantasized about uh, Ölschlegel and Unbehauen. 
Um, I'm not sure if if uh, it's really that uh, acute, but uh, we'll find out on Saturday, I guess. But um, Lars, since you've already written a whole piece about it, um, how do you think Favre will change and uh, do you see changes necessary here and there against Freiburg? I'm iffy on the uh, necessary part, actually. I mean... Uh As far as schedules go for go for Dortmund in 2020, it's been decent enough. I mean, they've had two midweek fixtures over the first two months, and the next one isn't for two weeks because they're out of the cup already. Uh, the the international break is at the end of March, so I mean, it hasn't been particularly stressful for these players. Uh, compared to, you know, other teams. I mean, we've talked about Thomas Tuchel last week complaining about Paris having twice the amount of fixtures already that Dortmund have had. Uh, and the same can be said for a team like Frankfurt. You know, in three weeks, they will have played, uh, I think four more games than Dortmund or three more games. So, uh, in terms of, you know, managing the strain on, on the players' bodies and stuff, I don't really see a huge necessity to make changes but obviously the the week that i mentioned before is coming into focus and you will probably have to make changes at some point during that week so you want also the players that might be coming in then to have some semblance of rhythm and the only chance to get that is basically now against freiburg which is also with all due respect to uh, christian streich and his team obviously uh, the kind of opponent where you would think going in you might be okay without playing you know 11 out of 11 uh, you know a team members at the moment yeah so uh, how do you think julian brandt will uh, rotate back into the team after his injury um, do you foresee lucas pischek being dropped and emre can rotating on on the right back position where i, I think dortmund originally plans him for sort of but or or do you do you think that he you just bench chan all, all together and just put him next to witzel or uh or maybe chan and brand where or, or or bench hazard and then put brand in there several options where do you see him i mean ultimately i wouldn't be shocked if he didn't start just because there's so many options that Valve might not be able to choose. I mean, I can't really see, even though I want to see uh, Chan uh, playing in defense, because as you said, that was reportedly anyway the, the big plan when he signed. And it's also, uh, I'm maintaining that, fa uh, that, that opinion. Uh, it's by far his best chance at regular game time for Germany, which is uh, mentioned to be one of the main reasons why Chan chose to do, join Dortmund in the first place. So I would really like to see that. And Freiburg, as I said, is kind of an opponent where you could probably get away with it, even if it doesn't work, you know, extremely well in the first game. I mean, Freiburg are going to be without Luca Waldschmidt, it seems, uh, who is probably their most dangerous attacker, I would say, uh, as was also evidence in the first uh, game between these two sides uh, in the Hinrunde. Um, but, you know, there's something to be said for uh, rhythm and stability also uh, in terms of Chan in midfield, which is certainly uh, going to be uh, Dortmund's lineup 
against Paris, which is kind of the game that I guess uh, the the next few weeks more or less revolve around, just by the nature of the importance of uh, you know a Champions League knockout tie. There's no second chance at that, as opposed to a Bundesliga game where even if you drop points against Gladbach, I mean you still have uh, nine games then left, I believe. Um, so we see about you know that that defense or midfield question for Chan, um, but I wouldn't be shocked either to see just Brandt uh, as a more in a more attacking role. I mean we've mentioned last week that with the Wingbacks providing uh, width in this new system, which isn't so new anymore. Uh, the the outside attackers or wingers uh, aren't really sticking to the touchline anymore. So they are more uh, playing the inside channels. I mean, Sancho has almost played like a secondary striker these last few games. So uh, I I think that's the kind of role where Brandt doesn't necessarily get to play out of. Uh, play play all of all of his strengths, but I mean he's still very good in in that uh, sense as well, and uh, has enough experience also uh, from the the left wing cutting inside to make an impact there. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. Um, overall, I would say I don't think uh, in in a game like that you necessarily need the Witzel Chan double pivot. Uh, I still do like uh, Julian Brandt as the number eight. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't really have to solidify the defense that much, um, you know, may, may, maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I still think that if you have a Witzelbrand partnership in midfield, that's, that's fine too. And then you can put John either as a right back or, or bench him because, uh, John obviously needs to, um, yeah, I I don't know if if you can just play him so so often that con- considering how how little he has played for uh, Juventus this season, you know he you get and and, cons- and considering his playing style as well. I mean, yes, exactly. Uh, he throws himself into every uh, duel. Uh, he's making last ditch tackles. He's fouling quite a bit and getting fouled. So I mean, <laughs> and getting uh, away with fouls even yeah, better. I, I mean, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, level of interest, I think the, the most fun thing would be a Brandt-Chan partnership because we haven't seen that. And Witzel also, especially last season, showed some signs of uh, fatigue in the second half of the season. Uh, obviously, he had a longer winter break than most during his uh, because of his fall uh, in, I might have even been still November. Uh, but, uh, you know, that would probably be what I would most want to see outside of Chan playing in defense. Yeah, actually, it's a, is desperate, desperately in need for, for rest, I would say. Um, I don't know when, when uh, that's supposed to come, but it, it needs to come at some point because, uh, as you said, the, the next game will be very, uh, the next week will be very tough afterwards and you can just play everyone in, in every game. So uh, you really have to choose your battles there um so i'm i'm really intrigued what uh Favre will do in gladbach considering that the next two games are maybe even more important for dortmund who knows how they pr- prioritize that um we'll see i guess um but yeah so dortmund play freiburg who right now are ninth place who have uh, nine wins six draws and and eight defeats and dortmund obviously hold the longest unbeaten streak of any club in the bundesliga against freiburg with 17 games which is 14 wins and three draws and uh, dortmund have only lost one game in their last 19 at home to freiburg 
and uh, obviously that, Dortmund. I think that's one one game ever losing at home. Yes, to yes. From from all nineteen home games, they have only lost one, which yeah. I think came around two thousand two or two thousand one. It was um, two thousand one. It was a Sunday. I, I I don't know why I remember this so well. We talked about <laughs> this the last time when they have played Freiburg. Uh, it was a Sunday. I was listening to it on the radio. Uh, I remember this so vividly because uh, it was. You watched the day Sendung of, mit der Maus before. <laughs> no, no, no. It was the day of uh, elections in Berlin. For I mean, I don't live in Berlin, uh, and, and it's uh, doesn't. I mean, I was uh, 12 years old then, so local elections weren't necessarily my kind of thing. But I, I do for some reason remember it so well, and. The, the the funniest thing, I mean, not necessarily funny, but uh, an anecdote anyway, is that uh, Sebastian Kehl was still playing and actually scored in the 90th minute, but for Freiburg. That's how long ago that was. Jeez, yeah. So for, forever. Yeah. Any, anyway, so Dortmund's still the only team without a home loss um, this season, which is a nice record to keep, I would say, throughout the entire season. And uh, Freiburg have only gotten four points out of their last five games and failed to score in three of them. So um, they're not in the best form and obviously only one win out of their nine away games and only one clean sheet all season, which I think came on match day four. So, um, you know, going through the uh, stats, which were, I think, provided by Opta somewhere, um, that that all points in a in a nice direction for, for Dortmund. And, uh, oh, there's even more. In the last 12 games... They only scored three goals from open play, eight set-piece goals, which is a Bundesliga low. So there you go. Uh, Freiburg right now, uh, maybe not in the uh, uh, Breisgau-Brasilianer mode. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know what to expect of them, to be honest. Uh, Christian Streich usually finds a way to lose to Dortmund. Um, so the uh, draw, the two-all draw earlier this season was kind of surprising in that regard. But, uh, you know, Dortmund being Dortmund, I think. Was it an own goal? No, that was in Frankfurt, but it was... No, there were two own goals. Oh, really? During, yeah, during that uh, three-game spell of two two draws against Frankfurt, Bremen and Freiburg, Dortmund actually managed to score two own goals. Oh, Delaney against Frankfurt, and then I think might have even been Hummels, or maybe they counted it on Birki uh, in Freiburg. Yeah, it, it was it was like a scramble in the box because Dortmund yeah. failed to put any pressure on the opponent, which was like the bane of our existence back then. How passive and uh, yeah, bodiless Dortmund played once they had a lead, which was just absolutely terrible. I mean, uh, Axel Witzel scored such a nice goal in that game, but uh, it didn't pan out to be rewarded with uh, all three points. So. Um, I think if I count it correctly, Dortmund now from from the uh, spell of the Rückrunde, they have uh, gotten 15 out of 18 possible points. I think at the same time last uh, in the Hinrunde, they have had 11 out of possible 18. So right now they are four points better. And, uh, you know, obviously you can increase it by even two more points. So, uh, you know, which which would be nice. 18 points out of a possible 21. Um I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I personally don't know too many things to say about Freiburg and how they play because I don't watch them that much. So if you have anything to say in terms of strengths and weaknesses, be my guest. I can I can tell you that uh, Niels Petersen is their most prolific scorer this season with eight goals and and Luca Waldschmidt, who you've mentioned before, has scored five. So there you go. 
Yeah, but uh, Waldschmidt obviously was injured for a prolonged time uh, after kind of a nasty collision on Germany duty, uh, I think against Argentina in Dortmund even, uh, but I'm not necessarily positive on that. But I mean, uh, he's also out, as I said, against Dortmund on Saturday, uh, most likely anyway. So uh, nothing to worry about in that regard. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily a Freiburg expert, though I will pat myself on the back and say that I predicted uh, Freiburg having trouble in the Rückrunde. But that was mostly just, uh, you know, rehashing some expected goals stats where Freiburg have registered quite terribly this season. Uh, I think um, Understat had them as like the third or fourth worst team in the league uh, during the winter break. Obviously, they were quite close to uh, the European spots at that time. They they still aren't, you know, completely out of that race, if you like. But I mean, the as you've kind of pointed out there, pretty bad spell of form in the second half of the season was kind of the that typical uh, regression to the mean kind of thing where in the first half of the season they won points they shouldn't have won and th now they, they have some of these games where perhaps they deserve a point or even three and don't get them. I watched uh, Christian Streich's press conference or at least parts of it today for an article and he was uh, talking about the Düsseldorf game quite a bit where uh, Freiburg just didn't show up in the first half, apparently. I mean, obviously, I didn't watch it because it was simultaneous to Dortmund. And even if it wasn't, I'm not usually about watching Freiburg versus Düsseldorf, uh, just as a general rule in life. <laughs> Don't watch Freiburg versus Düsseldorf unless you are Freiburg fan or Düsseldorf fan or get paid to do it, which in this case I wasn't. Um, so he said that there was just something missing. He didn't really give any detail uh, as to what that might have been. But in the second half, he was really pleased with their reaction. And if they show the same attitude and, you know, awareness to go into duels and, and play with the required uh, toughness, but fair toughness, I mean, he doesn't want his players to just hack down Dortmund, but, you know, get stuck in. He's apparently optimistic to be able to perhaps take something away. But then again, I mean, you've mentioned uh, and, and we've talked about them beating Dortmund in Dortmund once and, you know, not necessarily winning a lot of points through draws either. So this might have been what we in Germany call Zweckoptimismus. Yeah, I, I guess. So my prediction for this game is a 3 nothing Dortmund win. Um, what's yours? Four one. All right. So before we wrap up, uh, there's one last subject we have to cover because we have repeatedly been asked, and that is uh, the controversy between Dortmund and Hoffenheim, where uh, now it has been decided that uh, Dortmund fans will be disallowed to travel to Hoffenheim games and will have to uh, reimburse the club, I think, for the next two away games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Lars, do you have more information on the subject to explain to me and our listeners who um, might have not read about it yet uh, what exactly happened and why? Um, well, first of all, not the Dortmund fans have to reimburse Hoffenheim. That would be quite problematic. Uh, it's <laughs> obviously the club itself. Well, it's, there, there have been individual punishments too, but that's that's a different subject, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think most... Listeners will be aware of Dortmund's 
Dortmund fans long-standing, I guess, feud with uh, Dietmar Hopp, who basically uh, funded Hoffenheim's rise through the leagues over the years. I mean, they are basically uh, what we call a Dorf club in Germany, you know, a, a countryside club, not necessarily a screaming pro football, but, you know, when you have a financial backer of uh, Hobbs stature, he is a, I think, billionaire or might have given so much away that he's just a a, a millionaire at this stage. Um That that can change things quickly, and obviously Dortmund fans kind of think of themselves as you know the backers of tradition with with good reason. Obviously, I mean we don't have to get into all that, but uh, we do know that you know Dortmund fans voice their disapproval of Hop and you know his financial backing of Hoffenheim in the past uh, in some drastic manners, which. I mean, I am not necessarily a fan of. I mean, the, the the most famous thing is, for one, a chant calling uh, Dietmar Hopp a son of a whore, which, I mean, that's kind of almost football language, even if I don't like it. That's not something that you would get, you know, uh, an away ban for two years for, but obviously continued use of that chant and uh, banners showing him in... What's Fadenkreuz in English, Stefan? Crosshair. In the crosshairs, right. Uh, I mean, that that has been taking place for several years now, and, and Hop obviously has gone the way of going to court over stuff like that, which I think people will find uh, is a good example of the Streisand effect. Um, but, you know, I digress. So the, 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 the thing is that Dortmund were already punished by a three year away ban in 2018, I think. And as we said last week, uh, or I think we said in the pre show talk only, um, that was a suspended sentence and the suspension almost, uh, if, if you like, has now been, uh, Lifted. rescinded. So or that. Dortmund are, I, I, the, the, the quote from uh, the Sports Tribunal Chairman Hans Lorenz uh, reads as follows. After the continued abuse of Dietmar, the withdrawal of the suspended sentence was inevitable as a consequence of the previous judgment from November the 2nd, 2018. So basically, as I explained in a lot of words, uh, we already knew this was coming. And after Dortmund's fans once again... I guess misbehaved in the eyes of the authorities in December in Dortmund's uh, 2-1, I think, defeat at Hoffenheim. It was clear that this kind of punishment would come. And obviously, you know, it's kind of a big deal not having uh, away fans in a stadium two years in a row. And obviously also Dortmund have, as we said, uh, to reimburse Hoffenheim for the lack of money coming in from away fans, even though I'm not sure if they aren't allowed to just you know, home fans in the away section of their stadium. But I mean, I don't really know how these things work. Do you have an uh, opinion on this entire kerfuffle? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, as, as, as I said, I, I don't necessarily uh, agree with the way Dortmund fans have voiced their disapproval. I mean, the the chant I don't really have much of an issue with because most fans will know that Dortmund are called Sons of Horse collectively every week. 
and it's it's kind of folklore and and grandfathered in i mean nobody's taking issue with that for some reason but when it's against one which uh, which rich white man suddenly it's a it's a huge issue uh, and and you know a sign of general societal problems or whatever uh yeah i mean the the crosshairs banner is the one thing that i would just like to see discontinued because you know that's it's quite distasteful especially now that in germany there have been a number of uh mostly right-wing terrorist attacks over the last few years where people were gunned down uh i mean i don't agree with people saying that uh showing hop in the crosshairs is uh basically asking for him to be murdered i think that's a bit of an overstatement but still i mean the the connotations of gun violence uh, i think that's something that people would be wise to just completely avoid yeah i will just uh, sign my name under everything you just said because uh, i i wholeheartedly agree so um i think we can knock it on the head here um before we go i want to give a little plug to um the bundesliga bulletin from abe mescheros who is uh, having i think a podcast interview with uh, our konstantin Egner about tactics so if you have five hours uh, go ahead and and uh, listen and to the to intro the Yeah, just to the intro, obviously. Uh, so, yeah. Any, anyway, just wanted to give that a quick plug since it's our own Konstantin and our own Abel who are, I don't know, nerding out, I guess. So there's that. Um, and obviously, Lars, please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you. Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Lars Polman, where I will send, uh, you know, a collection of links from time to time to pieces I write for fußball.news. And if you don't read German, you can use deeple.com, which is a translation service, which isn't paying me, but I'm still going to endorse it because it serves me quite well uh, and works much better, in my opinion, anyway, than, you know, Bing or Google Translate. Very well. So uh, without any further ado, here is our interview with Jamie McAllister. Welcome back, and I am now joined by Jamie McAllister from Coventry, England, and he is 19 years old, and he is 100% blind, and against FC Union Berlin, which was a fine 5-0 win for Dortmund, he had the pleasure of visiting the Westfalenstadion and uh, experiencing a match day quite near to the yellow wall. Jamie, hello and welcome to the show, and uh, thank you for joining us. Hello, I'm good, good, good to be on. I'm looking forward to it. You are on Twitter, obviously, at BlindFootyFan, yep. and this is how your journey basically started, at least according to the video that Borussia Dortmund uh, posted since they uh, covered your trip, or at least your visit to the, to the stadium. All, all, because of, all because of one tweet. That was, that was it. It was just lifted from there. It was quite a, a fast, fast-paced journey i suppose from that from that very point so um you had a nice weekend in dortmund how many days were you there um i was there uh, got there early friday morning and left um 
Sunday evening. So yeah, I've got a good good two and a half days. Uh, got plenty of plenty of things packed into the weekend. Um, but yeah, it, it was a it was an amazing weekend. I loved it. The entire time you were accompanied by Justin. That's yeah, Justin. Yeah, who have go to go go to uh, Coventry games and stuff like that in 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 obviously my hometown with him all the time. So yeah, me and him were were like attached to the hip. So we're, we're you know we're um pr- pretty close. So we know each other's ways, and he knows the best way to look after me. And we yeah, were couldn't couldn't have gone with a better person. How exactly is your relationship with with Justin? How how long do you know each other? Uh, how did you find each other? How did this um, all come about? It's funny actually. We've only actually we've only actually knew each other for just under a year now, um, and we met through basically the start of the football season. Um, I was looking to go to Coventry games, and I needed someone to come with me because I don't really have anyone in my family that's as kind of into football as I am. So I did a similar thing to what I did with Dortmund actually and put a, just a, put a tweet out. And um, this was like back in May or June now. And uh, yeah, Justin came of that. And and then that, literally from there, we've just gone to games, not not just football games, we've gone, you know, just, just generally social occasions. And we've, we've jowled pretty quickly, to be honest. And he's, he's really, he's really, pulled me into kind of that footballing community and made me feel welcome and made sure people know who I am and know my situation and make sure everyone looks after me. So mine and his relationship is something that I haven't really kind of uh, experienced throughout my life, really. You know, someone other than people in my family, it's it's a special relationship that me and, me and him have, I think, and I appreciate, I appreciate it. Uh, a lot to say the least yeah that's obviously awesome um what what i find quite amazing these days is how easily you can communicate with other people on your phone given that you can't see um i i've i've seen in in the in the comments uh you know people being very ignorant about it and and basically uh, you know asking themselves or are you how you possibly can can read and understand what they're saying But, um, you know, I, I think modern technology makes it quite accessible and uh, yeah. it's, it's even better that it works via Twitter. So um, since I'm on Twitter a lot and apparently you are too, um, b- before we talk about football, just out of interest, um, how uh, how um, do, you, do you experience Twitter and uh, can it get stressful scrolling through all these tweets without any vision? Um. I think it it can be frustrating at points, especially when a particular tweet or any social media really relies on like a video or a picture of any sort. Um, but it's it it requires a lot of patience because you have to. When I was scrolling through tweets, you have to listen to everything. You know, you have to listen to the the name of the person, then their whole tweet. And if you want to know when it was tweeted and how many likes, retweets, and replies it's got, um, and it, yeah, it, it, you have to be patient with it. But at the end of the day, I think I've, I've kind of got that patient with it because I know if I if I do, then I'm going to benefit from it. So things like Twitter and Facebook and all that, they're, they're really accessible. It's all it's all down to the you know the what's the word um, the people who create the websites you know the, the, 
app developers and stuff like that who it's up to them to make it accessible and people on Twitter and that have made it ex- as accessible as possible. And that's why I'm being able to d- have all these opportunities like I'm doing now, having to go to Germany and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been, and regarding the people as well, I think they just... I wouldn't say it's because... 99% of the time, I wouldn't say it's because they're a bad person. I'd just say they're not particularly educated on that particular subject. And usually if someone asks me how I use my phone and I tell them, they kind of then kind of get the gist of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all... It's all a learning. It's a learning curve for me as well as everyone else, you know, who I speak to and that. But yeah, you can't you can't really do much about those people. They just have to, you know, know when to say something and know when not to. But you know, what can you do with stuff like that, really? All right. So then to the to the big question, which obviously interests everyone: How did you fall in love with football? Um. It's kind of split, really. When I was younger, when I had eyesight, I've only really been blind for two years, two, three years, maybe. Um, and I wasn't actually, when I actually had sight, I wasn't massively into football. I paid attention to it. I knew what was going on. I knew, and, you know, I knew players, I knew where everyone was and whatever. But it was only when I kind of started to lose my sight and I was looking for things to do that I can, you know, can still enjoy and go along with despite having no sight and football was the first thing um and then going to games and just it's it's like i said in the video in the dortmund video it's it's the atmosphere that gets me that that really pulls me in and you know the, the emotional roller coaster that supporting your club sends you on whether you're you know you when whether you're having a bad season or a good season it's it's the the emotional connection that i get with my local team Coventry as well as Borussia Dortmund um and yeah it's it's literally, literally all down to the atmosphere and the people and just the pure emotion not even even just from the people you see obviously who have, who have sight in that are games it's just you don't get anything like it from any other and anything else the you know the pure joy that you, you see from someone when their team scores and you're hugging a stranger or you're jumping about going crazy. It's not, it's not something you, you, you get from much, you know, from other hobbies. So it's, it's all down to the atmosphere and the people that really, yeah, pulled me into football and made me love it to the extent that I do now. Yeah. I think you quoted in the video saying that you don't particularly care too much about trophies. But but rather yeah. <laughs> the 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 feeling and the atmosphere over the ninety minutes and uh, there are obviously uh, fewer better places to be than the Westfalenstadion. So um, 100%. tell me how you uh, arrived in Dortmund on Friday. What you do? I think uh, from the photos on your Twitter account, I can see you did a stadium tour. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we as soon as we got there, <laughs> literally. We got into Dortmund and then literally within half an hour we were at the stadium. Um, me and Justin were being shown around by the, the tour guide. And um, for, good, for a good hour that was. And we managed to have time to talk with the tour guide. He told us about particular things. Um, we managed to get pictures. Um, and it was, it, kind of, it was kind of setting us up for the, the game, really. Because obviously we had a, we got a, I got a good feeling of the stadium. Obviously empty, nothing's going on. Um, 
and it kind of just set us up like it prompts us up really and so this is this obviously from what Justin was telling me the stadium is just amazing to look at um, whether you're in you know outside or you're in wherever whether it's the changing rooms or the tunnel and some of the things in that stadium are just like they're just they're just perfect like like we went through so for example we went to the tunnel where the players come out and um the guide played the music the you know the music what the players hear when they walk onto the pitch and um that was like <laughs> it was like it was it just made us laugh because it was just the, the the adrenaline that it sends through yeah and that was just we walked down the tunnel with that with obviously no one in the stadium so to imagine that with the players and walk out to eighty one thousand fans just making an absolute racket, it, yeah, it really just give you send shivers down your spine for things like that. So just small things like that just really, you know, set set us both up for the for what was to come. So overall, how how did you like Dortmund? How did you? Uh get around the city before the game uh yeah i i i loved Dortmund. it was it was just the people that i couldn't i couldn't have been with nicer people everyone was welcoming everyone was helpful um considerate um food was nice the the beer <laughs> <laughs> it was really nice and cheap um and we met uh we actually met two locals uh, a wife and a husband um who i'd been in contact with on twitter so they definitely helped us along they they took us on the friday night they took us into the city center um after so we went to the i can't remember the actual name of it now the like the the pre-game show that you have at the fan world on the friday evening um so we went to that and listened to what they had to say there and we went to the merchandise shop um Got my, got my Dortmund top and stuff like that, and then we met the locals. They took us to the city centre and showing us places to eat, and just kind of educating us on the city, really. And um, they, they definitely, we, we probably would have been lost without them because they showing us, the, you know, the ways of the city and where to go and stuff like that. And they, they were with us the Saturday, the Friday and the Saturday. So, a massive thanks to um, Nicole and her husband Derek for that. That was, was very nice of them to take us in like that yeah great stuff and so the, the next morning i assume you had butterflies and we're pretty excited about the game uh justin yeah i assume as well uh from what i know uh, it was also his first dortmund game so um what do you do ahead of the game to get yourselves in the mood i assume more beer <laughs> not so much in the morning um well yeah we got up we got up in the morning had breakfast it was kind of A bit surreal, thinking, you know, in a few hours' time, uh, we, you know, we'd be in that stadium. Um, we kind of, we kind of just did a, a normal thing, to be honest, like you do as you just on like a holiday or something. We didn't really try not to think about it too much. And then it came to, um, it came to like kind of, you know, early afternoon, and uh, we went down to the hotel lobby and we met um, Nadine, who was kind of our uh, Uh, I don't know, like a person that helped us throughout the whole time we were there, and then two uh, cameramen, um, and it was from that point really that kind of the feeling started to come, and 
that's when we realised, you know, this is it's starting now from like one, two o'clock in the afternoon. This is this is where the this is what we came for. So yeah, it was from that point onwards that yeah, butterflies definitely started to started to come. Yeah, what's nice about Dortmund, and I think it's a little bit different uh, in in the Bundesliga in general. Fans come to the games quite early, so there's already a very good yeah. crowd in and around the ground uh, two or three hours before a game. On yeah, we def definitely realized that. Yeah, so it was it. Was, me and Justin were looking, and it was we we got to the ground about two o'clock, half quarter past two. And the thing that amazed us, obviously, is thousands of fans, but they're all mixed together. So you have, you know, the Dortmund and the Union Berlin fans just just talking with, you know, glasses, bottles of beer, just as if it's, you know, as if it's nothing. And um, we were saying to each other, like, you 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 wouldn't get that in in England anywhere. You wouldn't get the fans mixing, and you wouldn't get, you know, just drinking out of glass bottles because it just, it's, you know, the, the whole the whole kind of. Uh, thing around English football fans and all that kind of stuff. It, it was really, it was good. I, I, I enjoyed it because it was really nice to see. It's, it's something that should be, you know, should happen much more in football. And it's, it is, it, it really gets you into the mood when you can hear, you know, just thousands of people. And we got, we've seen the, um, we've seen the club coach arrive and stuff like that. So it really just get you into that football field and just being outside the stadium even that long before the actual game kicks off. So be before we talk about the actual game, I, I have to ask: uh, Did you have any pre-game food? If so, what you have and how did you like it? Um, did we have, didn't have much. We had a we had a pre-game pre-game beer, <laughs> <laughs> pre-game beer at the at the, at the ground. All right, I guess that counts as liquid bread. Uh, <laughs> so um, you've you've been seated um next to other blind fans, I presume, because Dortmund have a section for uh disabled people and obviously blind people yeah. i think where uh, you as a german blind fan you have headphones uh, that are hooked up to someone who actually commentates the game for you and describes it uh, dedicated for blind people which i think is an awesome mm. service um oh yeah it's amazing yeah um I, i i assume you didn't have that service available so so jamie was helping you But um, overall, just just talk about uh, how you, you you got there, um, how excited you were, and uh, when the first time uh, you you heard the yellow wall roar, because that's usually about half hour or so before before the game when when you can feel that first roar that really like pierces your gut. Um, yeah, it, it, as soon as as, trying to, as soon as we got close to the ground, we went we went across that's like a bridge that we went across. And once we got over to the side of that particular bridge, that's when you started to see the yellow and the red from what Justin was describing to me, you know, all the fans, everything. And you got that feeling. And um, before the game, I, I did the interviews to what you see in that video. Um, sit around every 10 minutes, so I did them. And then we got into the actual ground um, and sat down. And that, that really surprised me when I, I didn't know... Um, that I was going to be sitting in that particular section. I knew where we were, we were sitting, like it'd be next to, quite close to the yellow wall and pretty much at the front of the, you know, the front of the thing. Um, and, you know, Justin was saying to me, like, there's someone there with a, a white cane or there's, you know, there's people, it was, it was, it was, I was kind of a bit, you know, shocked because it's not often that I, you know, do so much, especially in the football in, in England, 
I've never came across a person who's into football like I am and is also visually impaired slash blind. So to be around a number of people that are in a similar situation as me was quite, I liked it because it was, it really, you know, made you feel, you know, like you're not the only one. And to be that close to the other wall, then yeah, like you said, about half an hour, 45 minutes before the game, they just, they just start and that's it. You, you don't, you don't hear them. There's, there's no silence after that. And, um, yeah, leading, leading up to kickoff, uh, it was definitely just sending shivers down my spine and, from just before kickoff, and they did. Um, You'll never walk alone. That was when it really, really hit me. I think that's when it, I kind of realised where I was, and you know what kind of atmosphere I'm, I'm, I'm about to witness. So yeah, it's re- one of the best build-ups to a game. Probably the best build-up to a game I've ever witnessed and experienced firsthand. So overall, you were in luck because uh, people who were at the game said. On, on that day that the uh, atmosphere was particularly good for a Bundesliga game against a team which is not, you know, Schalke or Bayern or anything. So um, in that particular way, you were pretty lucky also, um, you know, that the score was 5 nothing, and uh, that after the game you had uh, Nevin Supertich coming to the yellow wall, which was another emotional moment. But um, yeah. so so how did, you, how did you experience this game overall? Um, I mean, you have the advantage as to nobody else uh, who can see. You do not have to watch Dortmund defend set pieces, so that's that's a very big positive. <laughs> But obviously, uh, apart from that, um, how do you experience the game itself on on the pitch? Um, I, I assume since you were able to see before, you obviously know the uh, mechanics of the game and how it works. Yeah. So. Um, How how big of a help is, is Justin in that respect and, and how detailed is his um, uh, re- recapture, let's say, of, of the game yeah. and how much do you even want to hear of the game or do you just want to listen to the crowd react to what is happening on the field? What are your preferences there? Yeah, um, it, it's all subjective to the person I'm with, really. Some people give a, a quite a detailed description you know, frequently throughout the whole game or what's going on. Some people give next to nothing. And then Justin kind of gives me the significant parts. Um, so, you know, when there's a corner or if someone, either team are on the attack or, you know, the free kick, what, you know, just, just significant parts that could lead to something. Um, and yeah, the, the, it's, it's all, I'm, 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 It doesn't bother me, whatever, whoever I'm with. I'm, I'm just there, like you said, for the, um, the atmosphere. Um, I'm, I'm really feeling enough that I'm listening to that. Uh, and it's different, really. Sitting there for, as I said in the video, I could sit there for a Dortmund game and enjoy it without having to like be involved in the actual atmosphere. Whereas when I'm in England, I feel like I need to be amongst it and be involved in it. Um, And I can usually tell what's going on in the pitch, even if I have no description from the person I'm with, just by the, you know, the comments that are being made by fans around me and the general reaction. But the German football fans are, are different in that, in, in that respect. Um, which is a good thing because England fans tend to be that bit more, from, from my experience anyway, tend to be that bit more abusive <laughs> from like even the smallest of things, you know, whereas, I didn't hear anything like that. Well, I guess that's just yeah. where you sat, maybe, because... Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
that that depends qu quite a lot because there are very abusive fans uh, on any given place in the stadium but yeah i've i've had different experiences with that too um but what i wanted to ask you is um the, there is a big difference in fan culture obviously between german fans and obviously dortmund ultras and uh, english fans in general and that's just uh, that ultras have their own sort of vocals and, and, and songs they sing throughout the 90 games that don't necessarily have too much to do with the game itself and it's sort of like a noise carpet they, they lay around the entire game so the positive mm -hmm. is obviously the team is supported for the entire 90 minutes but the negative is a it, it kills uh, the spontaneous chants that we hear in English stadiums which are often quite witty and, and, and funny and uh, you know it's it's sometimes a bit disconnected from the game so uh, i wanted to know how you uh, yeah perceive that um yeah i'd agree with that yeah we, a lot of england fans sing where whether what's going on the pitch so if something happens on the pitch with a particular player you most likely hear a song about that player whereas in germany and in dortmund The fans, which is obviously a good thing, the fans just sing from you know minute one right to the end. And obviously, I not my German isn't that great, so I couldn't really understand the, the actual songs that were being sung. But the feeling of it, yeah, you can definitely say that they're there to support. And the people that we were with explained to us the the whole ultra situation. How you have three different groups and they have different you know uh, different stands on certain things. Um, but yeah, they, they, I, I do like that. They just they just pick a song spontaneously, and that's it. They stick with it for the next ten minutes. I, I did enjoy that. And that made it a bit more enjoyable and feel that bit more better um, amongst you know throughout the game. Uh, and it, yeah, it's it was it was enjoyable just to, just to sit there and you know listen to the fans sing what I didn't really know what they were saying. I'd still. I just I could just sit there and just smile and just enjoy myself. Yeah, for many yeah, people, I mean, they describe it a bit like a drug. So I I assume for you for you it's similar. So is this something uh, you you will seek out to to do more often just because uh, it's, it it's it's such an adrenaline rush? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one. It's like once you've done it and you you've experienced it and you enjoyed it like I did. It's something you just you, you you're eager to get back out there. Like I said to Justin on the way back, so we're going back there this season. <laughs> so I've got to get, but I've got to get back there. I can't. It's just, it's it's a feeling that only football fans know, and it's hard to describe, really. But yeah, it, it definitely is a drug and something that the you know it's it's hard to repeat in any other kind of field. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think of of events where you could have a similar feeling, but uh, I, I guess there's just not nothing quite like it. So, um, no. how how did you perceive um, the, the game? I mean, um, you were very close to the pitch. That probably means you uh, heard, you know, the ball being passed around, and and I, I guess maybe even the impact of tackles. Um, is this something you sort of? Uh, Yeah, so, something you, you try to take in even more, or are you more focused on on what fans around you are doing? Um, yeah, I'd probably say it's more focused on what's being said to me by Justin and the general feeling amongst the fans. Um, it was it was quite thrilling though because we were sitting there, and it's, it shows it in the video. We were sitting there, me and Justin, and then 
it's only it was quite early on in the game when it and just Sancho got the ball and Justin actually got his phone out just to just just to simply record Sancho on the ball really. And next thing we know he's he's in goal he's on goal and he's and he's got one and it's kind of like I kind of I, I just thought I'm thinking in my head like Jaden Sancho just scored like right in front of me. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was, it was literally right in front of you. Um but yeah, it, it was yeah, I I just feed off what people are telling me and uh the fans as a whole to instead of you know kind of trying to guess what's going on on the pitch. So, who's your favorite player? Oh. Uh I think I'd, I'd have to say, although Jaden, obviously Jaden Sancho is English and he's one of the best human players in the world, I'm, I'd have to say Marco Royce. I've always, obviously, he was he's, he's my favourite player before Sancho joined. And, and you know, he's, 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 he's had his rough times with injuries over the years. Obviously, missed the World Cup in 2014 and stuff like that. And, yeah, now now he's, he's back on track, it seems, and he's doing as good as he could be and yeah I, I can't can't miss but it's, it's definitely it's kind of him and then there's like a number of players just below but all on the same level if you know what I mean yeah so yeah it's hard it's, uh, with a team like that with so many young players and so many good players it's hard to kind of pick you know it's hard to kind of list them like outright but yeah the market I'd say yeah that's awesome um, is there anything else you want to tell our podcast listeners um, just, just I suppose for people who are listening that um maybe have saw my tweet the first tweet and then every tweet since then, I probably just just, just wanted to say thank you for everyone taking me in and giving me that opportunity that you know I never never ever expected to get really like when years ago when I watched Dortmund on TV or whatever. I'd be like, wow, you know, that, that stadium is something else. You know, like, like a lot of people, you know, think like, one day I'll, I'll go there and whatever. But no way did I think that, you know, now um, I can say to anyone, yeah, I've been to, I've been to that, that, that place and that place is absolutely amazing and the fans are incredible. The, how they make you feel, how they just, you really get the sense that it's, it's all about the fans. Um, so yeah, big massive thank you to everyone, and I hope that it's it's, it's the beginning of many uh, many experiences, many trips to Dortmund. Yeah, awesome. You can find Jamie at BlindFootyFan on Twitter, BlindFootyFan with a Y. So, uh, Jamie, once again, thank you very much for coming onto the show and and sharing this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, your, your weekend, basically, which uh, was a lot yeah. of fun. And obviously, also, thank you to Borussia Dortmund themselves for making it possible and uh, that easy That's for fine. you. Yeah. And shout out to Justin uh, for... Definitely, yeah, shout out to everyone. Justin, Nicole, her husband, the, the club, everyone just made it a weekend. I can, I can never forget, really. So thank you to you as well for allowing me to come on here and talk about it. Awesome. Thank you so much. And back to the show. Yeah. 
And that's the show. Again, thank you to Lars. And obviously, please again find him at Lars Polman if you want on Twitter. You can find me at Stefan Butzko. And if you want to get in touch with all of us, send us a question or anything along those lines, please do that via Twitter and Facebook at Pods. And if you want to contribute to this show financially or sponsor an episode, go to patreon.com slash TheYellowWall for all information. If you want to read our written content and access the paywall, um, please go to theyellowwall.net where you can also find all the various means to subscribe to this podcast, which you will find on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, SoundCloud, and all the other services. And uh, with that, as always, thank you for listening. Goodbye until next week.